Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Jana, and I'm a recovering sexaholic. Hi, Jen. Hi, everybody. I'm your leader for this meeting. Uh, the topic for our meeting this morning is, Is Recovery Harder for Women? Um, before we start, though, would you please join me in a moment of silence followed by the serenity prayer? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thy will, not mine, be done. Uh, can I remind everyone that this is a taped meeting in the spirit of the 12th step? The tape recorder cannot be turned off. If you do not wish to be taped, we suggest that you choose another meeting at which to share or feel free to simply listen at this meeting. At this time, I would like to introduce our speaker, um, Lynn M., uh, who will ex- share her experience, strength, and hope for about 10 minutes uh, on the topic of recovery for women. Hi, my name is Lynn M. I'm a, I'm a gratefully recovering sexaholic. I'm from um, Bucks County, Pennsylvania. And um, as is the custom in our fellowship, I will tell you that in this program I have um, six years, nine and a half months sexual sobriety. Um, I guess it would be best if I took a little time to tell you how I became a sexaholic, and, and then perhaps you'll feel more unified uh, with my story, and I'll feel more unified with you. Um, I, I come from a long line of addicts, um, alcoholism, compa- compulsive gambling, you name it. Um, and so I was born into a family of addicts. My father was an alcoholic. I think uh, in retrospect, they both had problems with um, sexaholism, although it wasn't obvious, really obvious. Um, I was an only child, and so... Um, my father's particular pattern of drinking, which was disappearing every two weeks regularly out of my life and not knowing when he was coming back, left me with a set of core feelings that were overwhelming to me, fear of abandonment and fear, shame, and unworthiness. And um, so by the time I was eight years old, I had basically moved into the TV set and never came back out. I was looking for some kind of male image anywhere. I wasn't a sexual creature, but I was always in love with some cowboy or some space captain or something in there. And it was always adult. It was not a parent-child relationship. It was always adult. So I, I was always looking for comfort in there, and I never really came back out. And I'm 61, so I was born in the Disney in the Disney era, and I still I grew up also in the era of the Doris Day films and 
the, the, the older films where all you ever saw was this kiss and then they live happily ever after and you never saw anything after that. So I, I, I am deeply entrenched in that mentality. And um, so by the time I had my first boyfriend when I was 16, um, he did something just terrible. He just decided he wanted to spend more time with the boys. We weren't so close. And I went ballistic. I, that I, I now understand that what happened was I felt all the feelings about my dad that I felt for so many years before that, the pain of that, but I couldn't identify that, and I just went crazy. And I decided I, I, in a sense, became a predator, and I started to use my sexuality as a weapon to try to get what I wanted and to try to hurt other men, basically, because when I when I was attracted to someone and it failed, I would then go set somebody else up and work on them unmercifully and then drop them because I wanted them to feel the same free-fall feeling that I was accustomed to feeling. And once I learned to masturbate, I didn't really need men anymore. I had my own private little fantasy world, and I lived there continuously. Um, and so just multiply that times 39 years until I was 49 years old, and I had an absolute meltdown in my living room one day with higher power and just begged to know what I needed to do because I couldn't live my life that way. Because I was going in and out of feeling suicidal, not because of my sexual behavior, because I never really looked at that. Um, it was the constant disappointment with men. And I was always blaming my father and his alcoholism, and I was always blaming the men. And I never looked at myself and never considered or had even the mentality that I may have had a disease myself. So um, having wasted the first 49 years of my life that way, about to turn 50, it started to all look pretty pathetic and pretty desperate. And in that moment, I felt, in my living room, I felt higher power say to me, Lynn, you have to give up the sexual fantasies and you have to give up the masturbation. And by the grace of God, and everything that I will tell you that follows this has been by the grace of God, I got it. And miraculously, by God's grace, he kept me sober for the next five years. I never knew the word sexaholic. I didn't know that SA existed. I didn't know what my problem was. I just knew that I wasn't doing it anymore. So, And and also, by God's grace, I immediately stopped watching the um, TV programs that I had been feeding off of. I started to watch how I dressed, tone down how I was dressing, stop looking at myself in the mirror, all the lust behavior pretty much stopped. And then um, I was in ACOA for a number of years, and I, I can't say I really worked the steps in there and I never had a sponsor, but I did simply practice every day turning my will and my life over to God as I understood him. And in a very slow process, higher power drew me out of my denial and started to expose to the idea of me, that I, the idea of sexaholism and that I might be one. And then I got invited to speak at a men's s meeting, of all things. And one of the guys who's in my essay uh, fellowship came up to me after the meeting and offered me the program. And I, I felt God's hands on my shoulder saying, it's time now, Lynn, you have to go here. But he did it in such a gentle and a loving way. I now, I've watched what happens when, when pe- men reveal their entire um, sexaholism to their wives before either of them are in recovery. I've watched what happens when people 
are not praying and not surrendering their will in their life and they're arrested and they, they get catapulted into recovery. And I much prefer higher power's way of one day at a time and that IV drip. It's so much kinder, although sometimes I do balk at how long it takes. But um, my first essay meeting, I walked in. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, Buddy over here was in that room. And I walked in my little business suit and my heels, not knowing what I was going to find. And there were probably 12 men in there and me. And uh, it didn't matter. Higher power had revealed the problem to me, told me what to do, and I was willing to be obedient. So I just kept coming back. Um, those men in that room had what I wanted. What I felt coming from them was an incredibly strong discipline, disciplinary history from AA and how to work recovery. And I stayed for that reason. And it didn't matter that I was the only woman in the meeting. I just kept being willing. And I knew that what I needed, I was going to get from them. Um, Jana is my sponsor. I have had two lovely women sponsors um, in the program. They have been the kindest and gentlest of women with me, and I'm very grateful for that. And I do love the fellowship of women, but I do prefer meetings with mostly men. And um, in, in a little bit, I'll, I'll like intermingle that. Um, no, maybe let, let me just follow that. Let me just stay with that because that's what came up first. Before I came into recovery, men were mysterious, scary, painful things to me. I did not know how to relate to a man. I only had knew how to use my predatory sexual behavior. I did not know how to get love. I didn't know what love was. And I did not understand why God would make me sober for five years and then lead me into these rooms that were filled with men. What was this about? And what it really was about, in looking backward, what I can say is that it was about, I know the difference between sobriety and I now know recovery. And recovery is painful. Being, being sober all that time really wasn't all that tough because higher power really carried me. But recovery is painful, especially feeling the feelings that come up. Um, I find I'm supposed to be talking about is recovery tougher or harder for women. And I say, I will say that this is one of the obstacles that I see for women. Because I work the phone line regularly, I can almost hear a woman gasp on the other end of the phone when I'm sent, trying to give her a meeting to go to, and she wants to know if there's men there, and I have to say, you may in fact be the only woman, and you have to be prepared for that, and you just, they're not going to go. It's, it's, it's a very hard obstacle for women to get over. It was painful for me in the beginning because, for several years actually, because as much as I loved being there and as much as I knew that they had what I needed, The end of every meeting was painful because they would turn to each other like magnets and I would be standing there by myself with no one to talk to. The solution to that was service. I, in spite of how I felt and that little abandonment that I felt every week, week in and week out, I started to volunteer for service. I started at the bottom. I I volunteered to chair a meeting. Um, I became an annual chair for a meeting. The real change came when I volunteered for service in our inner group. Um, and through all of this, what I, I know that I, higher power has given me is I have the respect of these men. I have never been treated by better by men in my life than the men in this fellowship. 
and they have helped heal me. They are an opportunity for me to make amends, and I am always an opportunity for them to make amends. And in this recovery process, overcoming that obstacle of being mostly men, the gift that higher power has given me is that, A, I have this respect, which I never had before in my life. It was in very short supply. But I also now see men as human beings. It's really hard not to love a man who can sit there in front of 15 men and a woman and tell you that he's scared to death of his wife. They have become human to me. They are no more, no longer a mysterious, frightening, painful entity. They're human beings to me. One time, after I had been on the inner group for a while, um, oh, I, I know what would happen. The, our inner group was going from location to location, and some of them were a long ride, and I felt that I wanted to ride with someone. Um, so what I would do was I would ask the man if I could ride with him to the meeting, but I would first call his wife in Essanon and ask her permission so that everybody felt safe about this. But one of the, somebody once asked um, this one particular gentleman about about that, and he just said, Lynn, Lynn's one of the guys. And that was a compliment for me because in there I feel, what I feel is that um, we are no longer men and women. We're human beings. I didn't come there to be admired or to be taken care of. I came there to get well, and the way to get well is to roll up your sleeves like everybody else and do what they're doing. Um, And higher power basically just said to me repeatedly in a kind way, Just get in the back of the bus. Do do what everybody else is doing. Be be on the same level that they are. So I see that as an obstacle and something tough for women in SA at this time because we just are not even at the 50% point. Most of you will be going to meetings where you are the only or few women in a meeting. But there is a tremendous opportunity for healing grace there if you're willing to hang in there and try to overcome it. The other obstacle or difficulty that I feel that women have about recovering an SA is that it's very hard for women to see the pornography in what we're doing and how we're dressing. I had the most elaborate romantic sexual fantasies, and I had very high standards. If the, unless they, if they were married, it was just, no, no, nothing's happening here. But if they weren't married in my fantasy, there were no limits. And I could get to the sexual part in a fantasy in about 36 seconds. All of this by way of saying, by the grace of power, I was able to see immediately that this was just raw sexual lust heavily covered over by romance. It's just a cloaking device for lust. Um, so that was a real grace for me to see that. I find, especially working on the phone line or when people or women are new coming into SA, they don't get that. They see what the men are talking about as a totally different animal, and they can't relate to this pornography thing. But I was living it, I can honestly say. I was living pornography. It's a struggle for me now um, to uh, walk through the checkout line in the supermarket because all those magazines are around me. And I now that I'm sober... And I've acknowledged that. I now see what the men see. And I react in the same way when I go down that supermarket aisle. And the biggest um, the biggest reality check for me was, I, I, I did get it. I, I did accept it from the beginning. But about a year and a half or two years in the sobriety, I had my first ma- major uh, same-sex attraction. And I had never had that in my life. And I, 
the feeling was that a, a serpent came up in me, coiled, ready to strike. And I, I could not deny the reality of that which had been living within me all these years and it knew new boundaries. It was just raw lust and it didn't care what it fed on. And so now that it was exposed, I could see the true nature of what I had been carrying around and surrendering and what it was capable of. So that that would be the second um, obstacle that I I see for women, that the need to be able to let go of the cover of the romance and acknowledge the pornography um, of what we do. So that was all I had to share. So thank you for letting me talk. Thanks, Lynn, very much. Uh, We will now open the floor for sharing. Because our common welfare comes first, here are a few guidelines for sharing during the meeting. If you wish to speak, please wait to be recognized by me. No cross-talking, please. Please keep your sharing to two to three minutes, allowing everyone to share his or her experience. Um, and if you would come up and speak to the microphone, um, since this is a recorded meeting. Our purpose in sharing is to discuss our experience, strength, and hope in recovery. We focus on SA 12, the, the SA 12 step approach to recovery. <coughs> we don't discuss other 12 step programs, philosophies, therapies, or occupations. We avoid mentioning specific titles or authors of publications other than SA or AA conference approved literature. We also avoid using abusive language or sexually explicit descriptions. Our emphasis here is recovery, the solution, using the steps in our daily lives. And please remember again, the meeting is being taped. So it's now open. Hi, everybody. Since we're taping, I'm anonymous, and I'm a sexaholic. I'm really glad to be here. Hi. Uh, thank you so much, Lynn, for your share. I heard so many things I really needed to hear, and I'm really grateful for this topic. I have a lot of feelings about this topic, and I'm going to lead with my weakness here and share some things that I am worried are... Um, not the party line. And I'm going to say, yes, yes, I do think it's harder to be a woman in SA. Um, some of the things that were harder for me, you know, I just felt like I was going to AA meetings in a bar. I've acted out a lot with men and walking into rooms with dozens and dozens of people that I would have preyed on in my disease. It was, it was almost too much for me to bear in early recovery. Um, I also found it really hard to be appropriate at meetings and um, feel so incredibly isolated there. I still, when I go to mixed meetings, and by mixed I mean me and all men, uh, I find it incredibly lonely. I may hear a million powerful spiritual things that I need to hear, and I feel very isolated and alone there. At the end of the meeting, everybody gets up, and I am focused on Who am I looking at? How am I dressed? How long can I stay? But I need to go. Uh Uh-oh, here comes a newcomer. Okay, I'm going to get away from him. And and, um, it's difficult for me to be at that meeting and hear men say over and over again, oh, I've never felt so safe in my life. (laughs) I've rarely felt more um, threatened than I do at SA meetings. I find myself to be a threat to that meeting. I find the other people in that meeting to be a threat to my recovery. Um, 
And if I don't go to these meetings, I'll die. I'll die. I'll kill myself in this disease. So I found that um, some things that have been helpful to me, uh, I'm in early recovery. I have just under two years sobriety. Um, I would bookend mixed meetings. I would either go with another woman or I would call my female sponsor before the meeting. I'd go to the meeting. I'd walk out immediately after and call her. I myself, to be honest, I had to complain a lot. <laughs> and I know that's not that may not be sort of strict big book behavior, but I had such an upswelling of fear and resentment and terror, really, at mixed meetings that I had to say that was awful and that man molested children and here's how I felt about it when he shared about it. And I just had to sort of purge that stuff with a safe person, often before and after every meeting I went to. I had to stop going to mixed meetings for a while, which means I had to start a women's meeting, which means I had to sit alone in a room night after night for a long time, and I don't have to anymore. We have three or four, sometimes five women at my local women's meetings. I had to do uh, more really intense work about being a survivor of sexual abuse. You know, uh, because I am not a man, I don't know if it's harder to be a woman in SA or harder to be a man. I suspect, though, that it's harder to be a rape survivor in SA. And a few things were very helpful to me. One, listening very carefully to sober men who were also rape survivors. I got a feeling of connection and understanding and appreciation there that helped me sometimes to keep coming to meetings, even when no, you know, only the very sickest men would talk to me. <laughs> Um, but when I heard other men who were willing to talk about being sexually abused as children and as adults, I thought, oh, oh I get that. I understand that. Okay. And um, just in case there's anybody here, any women listening to the tape, I had to find women's meetings. I go to international women's phone meetings almost once a week. There are six women-only SA phone meetings a month that I'm aware of. Uh, the one I go to on Saturday night often has women from two or three, sometimes four different countries present. Um, that was incredibly helpful to me so that I could find uh, um, women who had been sober longer than I had. And I think that I'm just in the point of my recovery where I'm able, I'm safe enough and sober enough now that I can focus less on all the ways that I've been victimized and make some of those real connections with men in a brotherly way that they talk about in the big book. I had to read that, sorry, the white book, that section about why go to co-ed meetings. Oh, I've read that over and over and over and over and over again to remind myself that there's something here that I can learn and (laughs) something here I need to do to make sure other people are safe too. So I'm just so grateful not to be dead. I found it shocking that God thought the thing I needed to do to live was to go hang out with those men, Mm -hmm. and it's the only reason that I'm alive. So I'm very grateful. Thank you. Hi, everybody. My name is Lydia, and I am a grateful recovering sexaholic. Can you, is this, does this work? It does, it does work. I have a, either a very quiet or a very loud voice. Um, I am, it was wonderful. Lynn, is it Lynn? To hear you. I've been coming to SA since for about six or seven months. I'm here with my sponsor today. We, we just got here like five minutes before this meeting started. We drove down from near Cape Cod. Um, 
and listening to you talk, especially about about lust, really helped me to understand what that is for me and what my experience of it is in myself, especially when it comes to same-sex attraction. Now, I've never thought of myself as gay. I've never had a um, sexual relationship with a woman. I have had that kind of intense attraction a couple of times in my life, and it just, you know, I just write down. I realize now that it's a spectrum. It's not an either or. And my choice is how I choose to respond. And I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm married. Well, my husband's in the program and we just got back together, uh, last spring, which is one of the reasons I got into SA was through him. He's been coming now for, I don't know, quite a while. I finally kind of got it about two and a half or three years ago. And, um, he's just, a different person, and it's wonderful to see. Um, I'm really glad to be here. I am also starting, uh, going to start a women's meeting where I come from because there's not many meetings. My first meeting also, there was only men. I was really, really pleased and delighted with the outreach that SA had for new people that I was talked with, vetted, explained, etc. I've been to another um, 12-step sex program where not a single person even spoke to me and I, I did bitch about that a bit <laughs> at the end of the meeting like you really guys need to get your act together um, I don't know what else to say I'm just really glad to be here in just the few minutes that I've been sitting in this room and listening to Lynn so much I mean so much was clarified, you know, stuff I've known about myself and stuff that I've understood that I need to understand more about and be more clear and to listen to you talk about it, about lust, about pornography, about same-sex attraction. It's like, A, first of all, I'm not the only one. (laughs) And secondly, that it's normal. And to me, that's the gift of meetings is that, you know, when I'm by myself and I'm having a hard time, it just explodes. And it's this huge thing, and I'm the only person in the whole world. When I come to a meeting and I listen especially to other women talk, that shows me that, first of all, I'm not any different than anybody else. It keeps it right-sized for me so that I can deal with it appropriately as it is. Um, The thing about going to meetings with men, it took me a while to understand how different my experience of my addiction is than a guy's is. And um, I go to the meeting that I go to, there's only one that's, I mean, it's still a, a almost an hour and a quarter round trip just to get there, but um, I do go. And for me, being in that meeting and speaking, it's practice in being myself with men and being an honest total woman with men without that, you know, that buzz. And I need that practice, you know. So I'm just really pleased to be here, and I'm sure I'll see you guys all later. (laughs) Thanks. Hi, I'm Tanya. I'm a grateful recovering sexaholic. And um, for me, if it's been harder as a woman to be a in recovery, it's probably because my problem is as much relationship addiction as it is sex addiction. I certainly have sex addiction components. You know, I would have one-night stands, although I was always looking for a relationship in those one-night stands. And um, I certainly masturbated. But what's interesting is I've been in program since uh, June of 2002. I have 18 months sobriety. Um, 
Unless I was in a relationship with a guy and under his direction doing it, I have not masturbated since 2002. Um, I've certainly not masturbated on my own uh, decision, you know, oh, I think I'll go do this. So, um, but it's all been relationships. It's all been looking for other guys. And uh, I even went with a male prostitute a couple times. Like, that's going to get me a relationship. Go figure. But um, as far as men in the meeting goes, um, my problem was not relating to men in the sense that um, I felt very safe around men. At least I felt they were safe with me, or I was safe with them. I guess that's the way to put it. I was safe with them. Um, they were there for recovery. They were the, um, and I listened to their stories. Um, a lot of them, even the uh, people who were perpetrators, had themselves been perpetrated on. And as someone who has been perpetrated on, it helped me realize, first of all, that they had some of the same problems I had. And I had some of the same problems they had. I'm a perpetrator. I may not have abused children or raped people or whatever, but I'm a perpetrator when I'm in my addiction. Um, I'm victimizing the guys that I'm with. I'm victimizing their wives. I'm victimizing their children. Um, you know, I'm a perpetrator. But the, what I found is I strug- what I struggled with is um, the relationship aspect. I'm very attracted to guys who are kind and caring and share their emotions. And what do you get in a meeting of male sexaholics? Guys who are kind and sharing their emotions. So I was going around the first year or so of recovery getting crushes on every guy in sight. Um, it was kind of embarrassing, and I think one guy figured it out and eventually left the program. I don't know if he left because I had a crush on him or, or what. I think he was kind of court-ordered to go, So I that and I noticed people who are court-ordered tend not to stay, but, um, but you know, I can't do his inventory. But, you know, that was my big struggle was not – connecting with the guys but connecting too much with the guys and that's been a gift of the program is um, learning to see men as people not as sex objects and um, I love I in recovery I've gotten more um, um, interested in connecting with women which I think is good because I didn't want to connect with women before I only wanted to connect with men but I couldn't do recovery without the men um, I can't do recovery without the women either, but I can't do it without the men because um, there are times when I'm the only woman in a meeting, but they are very kind and very considerate and uh, respect my boundaries, and I've learned to respect their boundaries, and um, I'm lucky to be in a, in a place where we have a very strong uh, recovery among both the men and the women. Thanks. Hi, I'm Julie. Hi, Julie. Grateful, recovering sexaholic, newly sober. Um, and um, I guess I have had the for- great fortune of having an all-women's meeting from the very start, and my sponsor was very – we're in Baltimore. And um, my sponsor said in the beginning, um, it's really important to stick with the women. And uh, it's a mantra. Stick with the women, Julie. Stick with the women. Stick with the women. And as I understand um, some aspects of my addiction, which is really, really driven by fear of intimacy, my addiction takes me so far away from um, building um, love, building respect, building um, relationship. Um, 
I can't, I'm not comfortable calling myself a love addict. I am comfortable calling myself a relationship addict, but it, it is a anything but intimacy addict or something. Uh, I don't know. Sometimes it doesn't help me to actually like name the addiction because it's just a compulsive need to uh, avoid my feelings, avoid my true self, and avoid getting to really know um, others. So my sponsor very wisely says stick with the women because that's where intimacy can start for me. And I'm really starting to feel that, and it's it's incredible. Um, and I've got a long way to go before I can really safely enter into relationship again, I think. You know, I don't know. I'm like, I got six months of sobriety, and uh, we'll see um, how the next six months goes. But anyway, it's really like my only real experience of being in recovery with men is being at this conference. I went to the last one, um, I think it was July, and, uh, man, it's scary. You know, I just got to say, oof, you know, how many hundreds of men are here? And <laughs> um, it's in very powerful at the same time. So I have a lot of gratitude. Um, I just heard some really incredible things. And to hear men talk about their fears is what I just did, and it was... An incredible gift from God, and thank you so much, Lynn, for your um, perspective. You're a pioneer, <laughs> and uh, it's going to help me to remember you. Um, so thanks a lot. Thanks for listening. Hi, how are you all? I'm Nancy, and I'm a cover- recovering sexaholic. Um, just plain addict, I guess, is the best way to say it. I've been in this program for about six months now. Um, I guess someone once told me you have to understand your life backward, but you have to live it forward to kind of understand the person that you are. Um, so I'll just go back just a little bit to say that uh, when I was four years old, my father suddenly died uh, in a car accident. He was an alcoholic. Um, I was then... My sister shortly then remarried, my sister shortly married after that, and my brother went away to boarding school. So here I found myself, like my whole family's gone. Um, and Lynn, I can really identify with you because my next thing was I turned to television and I turned to food. I mean, they were my new family, my new friends. My mother had to go to work. And, you know, I was two of the 50s, 60s, you know, uh, Doris Day, Rock Hudson, you know, I I found, you know, I I had no one, no man in my life at that time to kind of guide me or show me what this could be. And my mother suddenly became this gorgeous, you know, widower or widow. Um, And so just to go a little bit backwards now, so I'm kind of saying that, I guess, for myself to kind of understand. I'm like textbook person. Uh, After that, I had been sexually abused a few times. And um, so that leaves the back. But uh, I just have to say, what brought me into 12-step programs was when my daughter, who was an alcoholic, um, was first beginning to have her problems, and I had to understand that, you know, I needed to go to somewhere. And I'm very fortunate today for that recovery in Al-Anon because it taught me. I, I feel like a big onion sometimes, like all these layers, all this stuff. I'm so, so grateful for that. And everyone that's come in my life uh, since my daughter's, um, addiction because I have learned so much about myself. The first thing I learned was I kind of 
I'm an addict. I'm an addict. I wanted to believe that everybody else in my life was an addict, but I'm an addict. And what I did was I beautifully bounced from one thing to the other. I would stay stuck in the food. I could stay stuck in the alcohol. I could stay stuck in the people. And I'm an addict. And it took a lot for me to understand because it was everybody else. It was never me. I was the perfect perfection you know I did everything right and it was everybody else but that's the first hard lesson I had to learn so then after that I was brought to um, I, I said okay you know al taught me how to take care of myself so I'm going to look at the food because that was my foremost problem I wanted to you know in the meantime I'd been married a few times married to an alcoholic several affairs I was just like a mess by the time I got to um, Al-Anon and then OA um I uh, learned a lot through that program that I needed to take care of myself. And then one day I heard someone and had been in recovery and been in therapy and done a million things to find out all these things. And all these little pieces are starting to come together. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. It just amazes me how God works with me, how he's put all these little pieces and all these little people in front of me in my life to make me realize, you know, the things that I need, you know, when the, when the, the student's ready, the teacher appears, and I truly, truly believe that with all my heart. Getting to that, so it was in OA that I heard, you know, the essay, and I, like, latched onto this person. I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, I think I need to turn that, or, or understand about that, learn about that. Um, so the long and short of it, I had been married, have been married for 20 years, and 19 of those years I was involved in an affair. And an affair with someone that I grew up with next door to me. I mean, he was seeing, I knew him as, as I was 12 years old, that very, not that anything happened back then, but that, that was very, when I was very, um, imaginable, I guess, or influential, or whatever. Anyway, um, I've been ha- I have this affair with this person for 18 years now. My, my thing is, I'm just so grateful for these rooms, and when I first walked into a meeting, my man, my meeting was basically men. And when I first was strong enough to be able to share to those men, I was amazed that like I got totally what I didn't expect. They all, at the end of the meeting, thanked me for trusting them. And that blew me away. That, like, totally blew me away. Because I I was scared to death, just like I know, but I was scared to death. And for them to say that to me is something I did not totally expect. So while it is hard, in the meantime, we too have been starting a woman group in our area. And I just want to say I'm so grateful for my sponsor and her sponsor and everyone that's here um, and the stories that we're going to hear today. And just thanks for letting me share. Hello, I'm Kathy Sexaholic. And it was just a little over a year ago I went to my first meeting and I was very terrified to go to an all-men's meeting. And I thank God that I was able to connect with a lady, two ladies in my area actually that were willing to attend a meeting with me that was all men besides us. I, I now attend a meeting um, that is about two dozen men and myself. I am the only woman. I went from being terrified, and the guys will rem- guys will tell you they remember my very terrified look on my face, and how far I've come along. I would not trade them for the world. Now they are like brothers to me. I haven't had a brother. I really enjoy the relationships that I'm learning to have with them, and I enjoy their recovery. And I know they appreciate hearing mine. What I have found to be hardest as a woman 
is I prefer face-to-face contact with other women. And I'm looking at these guys here, and in my area, I, I'm guessing they can see anywhere from five to 100 men every day in recovery face-to-face if they choose to do that. And, yes, there are women in my area, and we did start a women's meeting about two months ago, thankfully. Um, you know, I'm preferring the face-to-face contact. I'm looking at, okay, I, I, I don't get this. I can't do this, and I, I can't just – I'm learning more about phone numbers now where the, where, where the women are at. But I was feeling so restricted, I couldn't, you know, I, there was no women newcomers to talk to. There was there was a very minimal face-to-face availability there. And I was feeling like I needed that for my recovery. But what I'm learning now is not to look at what I don't have, but to look at what I do have. And I'm learning about WISA and how to get involved there. I'm learning what service I can do. And I'm learning what and you know, what I can focus on positively and not be to complaining about what I can't do. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Terry. I'm a recovering sexaholic. I never said that on tape before. Um, The question was, is it harder for women? And I think that the guys in my home meeting should buy this tape because they'd never believe that I would say, I really believe today there's not a difference. I really believe today there's not a difference. For me, the the education that I've got to say that is, see, God was very tender. He always orchestrates everything with me through the IV drip. And I walked into an S room three years ago this month, and I was totally terrified and totally in an unsafe place. I knew it the minute I walked in. And But I knew I needed help. I knew I had issues going on. I didn't know they were lust. I didn't know what they were. All I knew is that a friend of mine who was in another recovering fellowship with me said, you are suffering, you have to get help. And I knew what I was suffering about had to do with a man, and it was about a relationship. And I'd been married for, at that time, 21 years, 22 years. So... I remember one day being frantic and thinking, I need help, I need help, I can't go back there, I was totally unsafe, and I called the one woman I met at that meeting that I felt a little connection with, and she said, there's a group you might want to try. It's a little militant, might not be for you, (laughs) might not be for you, but uh, it's, it's essay, and a lot of married people find that better for them. And I thank God that I made that call. I thank God that I made that call. And just just want to tell you about the day. I showed up at a meeting, mistaken about the time, and got there almost an hour too late. The meeting was ending, and they were about to go into an intergroup business meeting. So I didn't have time to get nervous about the confrontation and the immense amount of men. And some codependent came up to me and said, why don't you stay for the intergroup meeting? Maybe you'll get help there. So I did. And I found myself at my first essay intergroup meeting. And <laughs> and you were there, buddy. And, and Lynn sat next to me. And never, because, you know, my greatest character defects is judgment, um, never in my wildest dreams would I think, you know, I, I thought she was somebody's wife. I didn't think she would be there to be a messenger for me. Never in my wildest dreams. And um, 
the rest is history because from that seed, I was able to get my sobriety a month and a half or two, almost, yeah, almost a month and a half later. And um, I have been in another fellowship for 16 years, and my spiritual growth really kicked in when I joined SA. It really kicked in, and, and in large part that has to do with the spiritual journey of those who have gone before me. And is there a difference? Well, when I came in, I was certain of it. I was certain it was much harder because I was so entrenched in the emotional, you know, victimization that I, situation that I put myself in. And I didn't hear the men talk about withdrawal from other people. I didn't hear them talk about how I used to, you know, literally bookend every movement I had to make because it just so happened that my obsession when I came into this program was a man at work. You know, I didn't hear the men talking about that. I heard them talking about trying to stay away from the Internet, trying to stay away from massage parlors, trying to stay away from, like, whatever they did. And one day it was like, oh, I could be doing that. They could be doing what I'm doing. There was no difference because I was just masking mine with romance. I remember saying to the guys in my home group, I don't know if I belong here. Is there, like, a romance group? I need to go to the romance group, you know? Because I couldn't see that it was a veil for lust. I couldn't see that underlying it all was this universe that I just talked about in the last workshop, this universe of sexaholism that goes so beyond the act of sex, it's not even funny. That's like a minuscule part of it. So is there a difference in my life? There's not. But I will tell you that I was the first to jump at a chance to start a woman's group because... There are women out there who won't walk into the rooms, who won't walk into the rooms. And I can tell you, my sexaholism drove me into the rooms, and thank God they were there. Thank God they were there. Whatever it takes, you know, I did not learn how to 12-step until I walked into SA. I didn't get that. You know, I really didn't get that like I got it in SA. Because I know right now, right this minute, my SA recovery is strengthened by being here today and just getting up to this mic. So thank you. Thanks, Thanks. Hi, my name is Nancy. I'm a sexaholic and I'm addicted to lust. Um, I'm so glad we have the women's meeting. I'm so thankful for that. I identify right down the line with the guys in my meeting. I may not have the same forms of acting out, but the stuff that's underneath that is is just right down the line. For me, the biggest difference, almost the only difference um, between being a woman in recovery, and I'm not a man, but what I'm assuming it would be like to be a man, is the contact outside of meetings. Um, I feel I need to respect the boundaries of the men in my meetings and I don't talk on the phone as a general rule to the other men. Um, I don't sit down to coffee with the other men. Uh, what I've done is passed a piece of paper around the room. If any of you haven't had a chance to sign it, leave it up at the front table. Um, the committee here has graciously um, said that they will put that together as a list. I will have the list tomorrow. And um, I will also email them to you if you leave your email on on the list. The other thing is there's a stack of papers on the literature table about WISA, which is women in SA, and there are lots of resources available through that uh, via Internet, also via phone meetings. So if you like information about WISA, uh, the papers are on the literature table. Thanks. Thanks. 
Hi, I'm Enid, and I'm from upstate New York. And it's hard to speak into the mic, but I wanted to say something on a topic that really wasn't covered as part of um, why women may find it hard to be in recovery. And basically, I think it's in the uh, sobriety definition itself. This is my experience. Um, It's really the marriage part. And it's taken me time to really adapt to that part that you have to be married to be sober. I always wanted, actually, I was married for a period of time, and it didn't work out. Um, And then I really wanted to get married again, and it never happened. And my question during the years that that I was in the program that kept taking me out was, well, I can't ask a man to marry me. Um, I was brought up that way anyway. And um, um, it doesn't seem like I'm going to meet somebody who really wants to marry me. Um, that's, of course, esteem issues. But um, so how am I ever going to... Um, uh, to get through this program. And those tapes that played in my head just kept taking me out every single time. Uh, today, I, I'm starting to realize something different, that that's not the issue and that that's not important. Um, the important thing is the lust issue and the best way to get over that. And marriage... I definitely have come to believe that when it works, it is definitely the best, um, the best means of keeping an addict, addict such as us, sober. And the founders of the program really knew what they were doing. Today, I acknowledge that I have a lot of work to do and that the reason that I'm not married is because I have not done the work. And if I had stayed in the program and done the work, I really believe that my dream of marriage would have come true. Um, It's just that addicts have no patience. I have no patience. And um, was not willing to, to wait and to um, to see the results. So one has to build your own esteem, and also a higher power is very important. You have your own higher power, and not just rely on a man to save you, as I was brought up to think. And... Um, I'm 65 now. I don't know if it's too late for me, um, but I'll work on these issues. I'll work on for my next life. Thank you. <laughs> Hi, I'm Latasha B, and I'm a grateful recovering sexaholic. Um, I want to thank Lynn for her share. I identified a lot with having a similar fantasy experience. I would. Um, almost a little in reverse because I would 
start my fantasy with a wedding so that I could just get through the fact that I wasn't married and then in my fantasy it would be okay that whatever acting out behavior that I chose was fine because I was married um, in my fantasy. But I was just using that as, as a veil to get through to the... Um, to the lust and the the acting out fantasy that I wanted to have. Um, I feel blessed in my meeting. I'm from the Boston area, and I have uh, a few women that I am able to share with on a continual basis. So we really do have a mixed meeting that I was able to enter. Um, And we had a separate newcomer meeting for me. So I did. I was able to identify with, with women in SA before I went through a whole meeting with men, um, but I don't really feel that I have experienced a difference. Um, I grew up in the age of internet pornography. Uh, internet pornography is a problem for me, um, and identify with. I, yeah, I really identify with the men in our group as as brothers in in our addiction, and appreciate being able to hear them share. And though sometimes I do. Um, I did resent the first time I heard in the litany that objectifying women was was one of their problems, and there was there was a couple of seconds where I, I kind of felt um, weird, kind of um, almost um, yeah, it just felt weird and un- uncomfortable in that moment. But in the next instance, I remembered that. I objectify men, so it's really, it doesn't matter what the gender is. Um, I, I experience the same problems. I need this group to be sober. And um, just as a couple of suggestions that I've experienced um, in in our home group is that when we go to a meeting that has a very disproportionate number of men to women, um, we when there's a count-off to share the women usually will, will say the same number so that you can you can share in the smaller group with another woman if if you feel that that is a need that you have and that's been um, that's been helpful and I hope that is able to help someone else so thank you. Okay, uh, we have time for one more. Hi, I'm Beth. Um, Texting from Maine. Nice to be here. It's really fun to be here. <laughs> There's a lot of people I'm looking forward to saying hello to. And I just wanted to share quickly a funny story about going to my first meeting. And that was that I got, you know, I did the phone call to SA and somebody called me back and they did the interview on the phone and they gave me directions. And I went and they said, it's a white building on the side of a stone church. So I got there and I got out of my car. I got out of the car in front of the stone church. And there were four white buildings. <laughs> so somebody walked by and I said, well, it was a guy with a white book in his hand. And I said, um, do you know where the, me- is there a meeting in one of these buildings? And he said, yes, but you're not going to that meeting. And I said, um, well, I'm looking for a meeting. And I was walking behind him. And he was walking a little faster, and <laughs> he was pretty nervous. <laughs> so finally I said, I think I am going to this meeting. He said, no, you're not going to this meeting. 
And I said, well, you have a white book in your hand, so I think I'm going to this meeting. And he said, okay, okay, you're coming, you know, letting me come behind him. And <laughs> so my experience at going to meetings was that they were a whole lot more scared than I was. And that was, um, that's partly a function of, you know, I grew up in a family of eight kids, and there were two boys above me and one boy below me. So when Dad said he was going to the hospital, to do rounds and he was taking the boys. I was going. So I've always been more comfortable relating to men and put that together with your sex addiction and yes, you know, you know what the story is as far as staying away from women and not, uh, kind of guarding yourself against them because they can see through your games. So I came into recovery mostly through online groups. And I've gone to three of those, you know, three of the local meetings. And I just don't go because they're too far away, really. And I'm getting a lot of my support online. And I had a point that I was making. Um, what was it? <laughs> I don't remember. Where was I going? Um... Oh, something about being online. Oh, yes, and early on I went to a women's meeting on the phone that was through this online group, and I was terrified. I had a male sponsor, and I didn't, I really was terrified. I got on the phone, and I put it on mute, and I cried to the her first whole call. And then the second call, the same thing. And the third call, I was able to leave it off mute for a little longer, you know. But now I have a female sponsor. And it's, you know, I'm really glad that I'm breaking through this and becoming um, a part of the Women's Fellowship because that's just incredible for me. I'm really growing a lot from that experience. And so I don't know. I mean, it's funny. I've always stayed around men. But are there men that always stayed around with women? I don't know. So would it be hard for them to walk into a men's meeting? A room full of men? As it, would it be as hard as it is for me to walk into a meeting full of women? I don't know. I don't know. So whether it's harder or not, I don't know. I can't answer that question, but I'm so glad to be here, and I'm looking forward to meeting you. Thanks. All right. Um, thanks, everybody, for sharing. Um, I'd like to thank Lynn for her sharing of experience, strength, and hope. Um, I think some of the ideas that we heard today were um, perhaps the isolation that women can feel going to meetings, particularly in the beginning of their program. Um, and uh, I, what I heard to generalize a little bit was labeling issues um, that perhaps sexaholic sometimes doesn't seem to fit when our issues feel perhaps of a more romantic nature or um, fantasy nature. And yet, as we stay in recovery long enough, um, we break through to see that lust is the issue. And it shows up in many forms, um, fantasy, you know, romantic entanglements, um, acting out in various forms, cross-gender and same-gender attraction. Um, and that if we are willing to hang in there, that we will find a home and find other women um, 
as our sisters and that men can be our brothers. Um, so thank you again, everybody, for sharing. Remember, this is an anonymous program. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. The stories you hear are told in confidence and should not be repeated outside. Please keep any names, addresses, or phone numbers you learn about in SA to yourself. And what we say here, let it stay here. And after a moment of silence for the sick and suffering inside and outside of these rooms, let us close with the third step prayer. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.